Brian Buford from the Employee Success Center at the University of Louisville. And I love nothing more than helping people find meaning and purpose in their jobs. So join me here to talk about how we can make each day at the office a great experience and learn from the stories of amazing people who are leaning into their gifts and talents, all to help you be your best self at work. This is the Employee Success Podcast. Well, hello, listeners. Listen, today we are uh, answering a question that I've been pondering, and that is, what happens when you get two podcast hosts together (laughs) (laughs) to do one episode? Um, You know, when you do a podcast, you get curious about all the other podcasts, and I love to listen to them anyway, but I have um, been obsessed with Sprinkle Sparkle, which is from Louisville Public Media. And our guest today is the host of Sprinkle Sparkle, Nubia Bennett. Nubia. Yay, so excited to be here. I know. We'll see what's going to happen. Um, <laughs> you, you can host, I'll host, we can interview each other. <laughs> so tell me more about yourself, Brian. <laughs> we'll just Who are you happens. exactly? <laughs> tell me everything. Tell me everything. We are so happy you're here. We've been looking forward to it. And we really want to um, make sure folks check out your podcast. It's amazing. We're going to talk about today kind of the intersection between the things you focus on and the things we focus on. And just it's just an experiment. We'll see where we find ourselves. For sure. Let me tell you all a little bit about Nubia as we get started. Um, Nubia is the DEI and Leadership Program Manager at the Louisville, uh, the Leadership Louisville Center, um, which is amazing, doing great work there. A longtime member of the U of L family, three student, times over, three times. Yeah, <laughs> I was a student. Uh, I'm a child of a of a former student and employee. And my sister is actually the first Black um, director of the Women's Center now. So family member of another important employee, awesome. former employee. And then, like, I went here for any the paper that I could get, I guess. <laughs> so my blood is red, yes. as red as it possible. I remember uh, one day being in the Student Activity Center and you and I seeing each other and you were like, can I just stop for a minute? And you had just done like, I don't know, like seven DEI trainings in a row or something mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. do you remember mm-hmm. that day? And you were like, I just need a minute to sit. Yeah, because it was, that was my, my lunch was the 10 minutes in between each uh, Gen 100 class. Yes. And I was eating like peanut butter crackers <laughs> because what lunch are you bringing if you're going to be talking in 10 more minutes, in eight minutes? For seven hours. For seven hours Solid straight. hours. Wow. Mm-hmm. So amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you're the host of Sprinkle Sparkle. Um, what else? I did, you want to? We want to shout out Trouble Bar. Oh course. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I am uh, also a bartender at the one of the best bars in the country. Ask um, what is it? Esquire magazine. Ask Yelp. Um, and then somebody said they have an article in Cosmo. It's super like it's my other favorite job uh, yes. because I get to bartend there. It is woman-owned. It is queer-owned. I would say we're queer-friendly, but I think everybody in the bar is just basically queer. We're just <laughs> queer by proxy or by truth, right? Yeah. Um, and pro, pro-abortion, pro all the things in terms of humans, so pro-human. Pro-human. Um, and I, it, 
I'd been doing DEI work for a really long time. I mean, by virtue of the fact that I'm a brown woman. Okay. Um, but I this feels like the most applicable way of doing this work because I'm doing it in real time. So it just goes along with all the other things that I think that might be. And I'm a mom. You're so a mom. I'm a mom, a newish mom because newish new because I have one that's 16. Yeah, you've been um, doing it a little while. Yeah, and then <laughs> I have one that is three months. So wow, nice wow. big gap, but it's like for the first time. So wow. I guess that's an important thing to to make a nod to. Absolutely. And you've given birth to this podcast. Oh, this yeah, around space, the same time. Around the same time. Mm-hmm. Around and and so this is really. Um, the piece to explore is thinking about the intersection of pleasure, which is mm. what, what you focus on um, and, and employee success. Mm-hmm. And is there, is there a connection between the world of work and our success and our, you know, our engagement at work and the idea of pleasure? Mm-hmm. So I, I want to dig in there with you. Let's yeah, just, I'm here. But Let's maybe, do it. I mean, you know, I listen to the podcast and I know you often uh, start by asking your guest to define what pleasure means to them. And mm-hmm. I think that word is, it, ev- it evokes a lot in us. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious, what, um, what does it mean to you? So that is a wild thing is I spent so much time asking people that question, initially asking myself, but then spent all this time asking that question to other people that when somebody asked me that question, I was like, uh, Do I actually have an answer to that? Because I wanted to be sensitive to the fact that all of the definitions that were given in that entire season of the podcast were all true. Right. But all so all of them and like but I had to condense that all in one because an easy answer would be like give you 14 versions of the same answer. (laughs) That's a really long answer. But I think the best way to sum that up for me now after basically going into deep study about what that actually means and there actually is now a burgeoning field of study around pleasure, which I think is fabulous and just is wonderful to hear. But I really like to think that like pleasure means it's both the process, the actions and the celebration of really seeking out and being who you are, because that feels good. So like you could say it's the process of it, right? Like the what is because, you know, you ask certain people what pleasure is to what is pleasurable to them and they're like uh i don't know and so yeah. the process of figuring out what that is that's pleasurable even when you don't always like it but it's pleasurable cuz you know there's a means to an end right but right. and it's whatever you're doing it's almost like the deciding the things you decide to do the actual tangible things you decide to do those are also pleasure but then when you celebrate the feeling of really like that guttural feeling good That's also pleasure. So all of those things are at the same time. So that's why I say it's the process of it. It's the actions you take and it's the celebration of really trying to figure out and be exactly who you are, which all of those things are happening in real time at the same time, if that makes sense. It it makes sense. And it's helping me get closer and closer to this intersection. So being able to be who you are, Mm -hmm. the process of finding that. You know, for me, I was think I think about it a lot when I'm listening mm-hmm. to Sprinkle Sparkle, and um, think about one aspect of pleasure to me is that sense of flow that mm-hmm. we're so engaged, we're mm-hmm. so um, immersed that mm-hmm. we kind of lose track. Maybe mm-hmm. we we are out of our body, or mm-hmm. we're, we're you know we're not we're not looking at a clock. Mm-hmm. The things that we would do um, 
even if it weren't our job, like the things that we just like can't wait to do again, mm-hmm. all to me like speak to this idea of pleasure. Mm-hmm. And um, and then finding more and more of that in our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you why. Um, I have a I have a sense that you could have maybe chosen from a a whole host of things to focus on in your podcast. Yeah. Why Why did you decide pleasure was the thing? Um. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I believe in divine timing, like things just happen as they should and they flow into like what the, this is the next thing. So I kind of after practicing for myself, like leaning into what really feels good, you're looking for easy, low hanging yeses, enthusiastic yeses. Right. So like most of us, um, like all of us, probably um, the world stopped for me um, in Mar- on March 13th, 2020 also. I also separated a month before that I separated from a job that I thought that I really, really loved um, like a month before, like in February of 2020. And I mean, when I think about 2019, that professionally was a great year for me. Right. It felt good. And I mean, no, it was supposed to feel good. But, you know, I was getting accolades like people like, oh, Nubia, you're doing such great work. This is fantastic. Even if they didn't really know what it is that I did in that job, they just the title sounded good and the work vaguely sounded good. But it was supposed to feel good. But I, I, like a lot of people in my generation, was starting to over-identify with my work. Like, who am I outside of this work? I don't know. I guess I'm nobody outside of this work. And I tell you, the universe has a way of (laughs) knocking your head straight, okay? Because I separated from that job that I loved, which, um, and I was like, well, shoot, who am I? Like, outside of this work, because people don't know me as this person anymore, so what does that mean? Right. And so after what had already been a really hard year because of that, um, just because um, 2019, right before this pandemic was hard for a lot of people, too. Um, I essentially went on. I said I called it a sabbatical and I got that terminology from uh, Adrian, Adrian Marie Brown, who you may be familiar with. Um, she wrote she's the author of a lot of books, but namely Pleasure Activism, which is like a compilation of just scholarship around pleasure. And so she wrote an article um, in, on her blog about sabbaticalizing your quarantine. And this came out maybe a month or so into the into the pandemic because she also had to stop doing whatever she was doing because, you know, because that's what happened to everybody. And reading that article, um, I had already had these feelings and these questions around who am I outside of my work? What am I supposed to be doing right now? Because I think we were all asking that same exact question. What should I be doing right now? And I was like, I'm going to make a sabbatical out of this. Just for context, I come from an academic family. My mom was everything but her dissertation. My stepdad was, a, you know, had his doctorate. My sister has hers. Like, it's it's a thing that is just a thing, right, in my family. So, like, that academic terminology around taking sabbatical, what we know that is, is right. when, t- traditionally anyway, what that is, is when, you know, professors are like, I need to go into deep study about this thing, and then I'll come back to my work, my teaching load or whatever, when I'm done studying this thing and I'll report back about it. So I said that in 2020 thinking, I'm just going to figure out what I like to do since I don't have anything else to do right now. And I had the benefit of being off for six months from February through September of 2020. 
And I mean, during that time, and I know this story sounds very similar to what a lot of folks probably are said about 2020. I did a flower wall on my wall. Of course, I reorganized everything in my house 50 <laughs> times. Um, I did like I inter- because I was looking for a job, sort yeah. of. I interviewed for jobs that I probably would not have applied for. And I was a finalist in some positions that were like, oh, really? Like you are thinking of me like um, quite a few places. But I did it because I could and not because I had to. Right. Um, which was an interesting experience, too, because, you know, you think about our job you know, career paths, it's like, well, I'm going to apply to this job because this is the job I qualify for. And now I'm going to switch and I'm going to go to this because I qualify for this. And because I'm a black woman, often you under, you're underemployed often. So I would apply to stuff. Usually I would apply to stuff that I'm way actually overqualified for, but I knew I could get this and I was helping people. So, um, but I got to apply to positions that I probably wouldn't have applied for um, in any, any other circumstance. And I was like, oh, well, this feels good to get good feedback from these people. And they are like, why didn't you apply, apply sooner? You know, and so I'm really like studying this process. This was a process I was like looking deeply into. I continued reading. Um, there, surprise, surprise. There's lots of good books about leaning into what feels good um, mm. across disciplines. And so. I was doing that and I just made note of it. And I, you know, I was like, I'm going to make the best of this. This could be the end of the world for all we know. We don't know. And in 2020, we did not know. Right. Right. And so right before I came to work, which ironically was I came working. I worked here. Actually, (laughs) that was my next move as I ended up here at UofL. Yes. um, For shout out to Marion Vassar, um, (laughs) because I came to work to UofL because she was like, I need somebody to help me do these DEI trainings. And so. Um, so I ended my sabbatical by coming here and I actually started on my stepdad's birthday, Dr. J. Blaine Hudson and all of, so everything meant something, everything always meant something. So I started on his actual birthday. That was my first day of work here. Um, but I kept that study up. Like I was like, okay, does this feel good? And as I'm working with, you know, Marion, who I've known for many, many years, I'm like, does this feel good? How are we navigating this relationship? Does this feel good? Um, So that was like the front of everything all the time. Like, how does this feel? Not like that impulsive, do I like this, which is usually up here in like your chest. Like, do I like this? It's like at the root of it, does this feel good? And so when it was time for me, uh, while I'm working at you, while I'm working here, I see this, um, I see this call, this all call for LPM that says we're looking for um, we're looking for um, folks that want to pitch their podcast um, for us. And, you know, we also it's an incubator. So we'll supply all the infrastructure just come. And my brother, who's been saying you should be podcasting since like 2009, because he's totally an early adopter on everything, (laughs) all all things. And I'm like. I don't do logos. I don't do any of this other stuff. So unless something's presented to me that's doing all the stuff that I don't like to do, no thank you. And I knew I didn't want to do radio because I'm not good right now in the moment. And so I applied, I pitched it. I was like, you know, I thought I was going to be doing something about pleasure and food because everybody knows I love pretty food because that's my pleasure practice is Mm. to plate food, take a picture of it and do instead of doing it at restaurants, I do it at home 
And that was one of my pleasure practices. That's what I pitched, right? And I was just like, ah. And then I was like, you know, maybe I'll talk to people about what their pleasure practices are and leaning into pleasure. It wasn't as deep. Right. Um, but then uh, Laura Ellis, who was the executive producer um, for special projects and was over the incubator and her um, other pro- and her producer, Alex Biscardi, they were like, why don't we like not do the food because there's enough food podcasts out here that are fun to listen to, but we don't need another food podcast. Why don't we just ask people, you know, what pleasure means to them? And why don't we just and talk about the relationship and Mm. especially focusing on marginalized bodies of all kinds. Right. Like I knew that that had to be part of it because I knew that my access to pleasure is mitigated by my identities. So I was we said, let's get a list of folks that you know that we can talk more about the precarious relationship of pleasure and, you know, that they have with pleasure and what it's been since the pandemic, because I had a very similar story. And it just literally it didn't fall into my lap because it was a lot of work to do this podcast. It was a lot of work. But I mean, a year and a half's worth of work because we thought we kept saying, oh, it's going to come out in the spring. Oh, wait, just kidding. The summer. Oh, wait, just kidding. The following fall. And so it just kept coming out later. But this process of really just asking different kinds of folks and coming up, asking the same 12, 13 questions and coming up with these very different answers has been a, like it was a product of deep study, which is what I know. And that is just like that in itself has been a pleasure practice. Uh, Because now that the season has closed, I'm like, Laura, when are we doing another one? (laughs) Like, well, can we do this again? I I don't (laughs) I got to come up with a whole nother list of 15. But can I do this again? Because just really asking that question and people sometimes telling you flat out, I don't know. Or sometimes being like, I didn't know until this happened. It just having the similarities in the stories and the differences in those stories, just it felt like those were always really exhausting conversations because they were about three hours long, but they were, it was like the exhaustion that you have that feels very fulfilling. Like, oh, it's like I can go to take a nap now because this was so satisfying. I'm ready to go to sleep now. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. that was a long answer to a, to a pretty short question, but (laughs) it was a journey. Like as I was halfway through, I was like, oh wow, this is, not what I thought it was, but that's the purpose of going into deep study is you don't Absolutely. know the answer. So you're like, I guess this is part of it. This figuring out the answer is part of it, too. So I think you're providing the rest of us with deep study around pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think the podcast really has made me think about it in ways I never did before. Same. And I, I was really curious about um, how you chose guests mm-hmm. because, I, you know, I noticed lots of uh, marginalized identities. And I, and I know there's an intention there mm-hmm. to maybe lift up those stories and lift up those voices. But also, I just think there's got to be something about pleasure and, and navigating our identities mm-hmm. that um, was important for you to think about. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. Um, definitely. One, part of the goal of the incubator is to highlight the voices of folks of marginalized identities, period. So... That's like women, cis and trans of either gender or no gender. Right. Um, People of color. Um, So like that's who they were looking for, period. Like how do we highlight the voices of marginalized genders, not just celebrate them like separate. It's like, Go find some folks that got ideas, take those ideas and and greenhouse them. So 
And I think the ad, so that was part of the point of it. But along with that for myself, which is why this was such an easy fit, was what we know is that if you have any part of your identity is marginalized, it's like when you have money. I always use this example in my DEI trainings. It's like, you know, when you don't have money and when you do, because when you do, you don't care what things cost right you go to wendy's you're like give me the whole combo 13 bucks you know whatever how much it is you know exactly how much a four for four costs when you don't have any money right (laughs) and so i think of pleasure in a very similar way because when you don't have access to just being your full self and doing whatever you want to do you see that price hanging over you all the time and that's really oppressive um, to say, no, you can't be this. Or if you're going to be this, be this way or whatever. So having access to pleasure and having access to spaces that celebrate pleasure for folks who don't have access to pleasure is really important to me because um, it's hard. Life is hard. Like and when and I think at the one of the biggest places we could see how hard life was, was during the pandemic, the beginning of the pandemic, because everything stopped. So for things to stop, for people who have things, they're like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to sit in my house and read my books. But then for things to stop and you have to leave to get food or you have to leave to go to work or you and with a pandemic that we didn't even at the time know how people were getting sick. They just were getting sick and they were dying in very high numbers. That was probably the most visible way that there were these inequities. But always and every single day, and I mean, that's baked into this country is that experience. So I think celebrating pleasure is an act of resistance because it's like, okay, this may be true. Like, it may be true that there's racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. But also, I have to live here and me just saying I'm wearing this hot pink coat today and everybody's going to be able to see me across this daggone campus. <laughs> so what? This feels good. I mean, that's a small act of resistance, but something as small as that to something as big as I'm going to be out about my sexuality or I'm right. going to be right. a, a black woman in a space where I might be seen as angry, but I'm going to have whatever attitude I feel like having today without policing <laughs> right. myself. Right. That feels good. Right. Like that is important. Um, and while I may not be one of those people that stands out in the street, like I'm, I can't even lie to you in 2020, I, I did not have the ability to be out in the street. That wasn't my strength. That wasn't my lane, but being in deep study about how to provide, how to, to define pleasure, being able to cook for people who were out there, those things were pleasurable. And to me, um, that's the same act of resistance. Maybe not as dangerous in some cases. Some days it's not as dangerous as being out, you know, uh, striking in the streets or whatever. But it is. It can be. It can be for some. It is that dangerous. And I think being in solidarity as an act of resistance, like I'm going to be my whole self because I'm human and I demand this space because I exist here, I think is why it's important to give space for that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's bring our listeners. So um, let's bring them into this conversation. You know, we might have supervisors or like U of L employees, people out in the world of work mm-hmm. who come to this podcast to think about how to be successful. For sure. And to think about what those tools are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I struggle with this because I grew up mm-hmm. believing that work is work mm. and fun is what happens after work. Mm-hmm. Our pleasure is uh, if it happens great but yeah. that's not what 
what we go to work for. And, right. and um, so th- thinking through this idea, I, I just wonder, what do you think um, mm-hmm. about that? Is, do you think that pleasure and, and work um, have a, like have a place to be together? Um, I think it's not that that feels like a very black and white question Mm -hmm. because I think it's always historically been pretty black and white. But I actually don't think that the answer is all that black and white, because obviously any space that you can that you occupy, that you can have, that you can bring pleasure into that space for sure. I'm also of the generation probably like tiny, like right before, (laughs) right after where where they they claim that all of us are special little snowflakes and we're all special and we get participation trophies, et cetera, right? right? Um, yes, and, but we were told at very young ages you should love with what you do. So we were told a slightly different message right. around you should love what you do. I don't necessarily vibe with that answer either because of the fact that um, everybody's not going to be the CEO of the thing, right? That's right. just not how our country, our, our culture set up. It's not, that's not real either. So I think those extremes, we swung the other way. We swung right. the complete other way than what you were taught. That's right. And so I think everybody ends up disappointed in those moments, right? So I think that if you can, right, love what you do, if you can. I don't believe that if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I don't believe that either because I can tell you I loved that podcast. I didn't get paid for it talking about flow and doing things you don't get paid for. Right. Um, but that was, I was, it was a lot of work. So yeah. that's not true either. Um, but bringing pleasure into it can be as simple and as low hanging fruit. I think that's what our culture lacks is nuance because yes, for sure. You can love what it is you do. I, I know you love your job every day. You I get did. to do your job. And you're like, yes, I love my job. <laughs> right. And actually right now I can say, I love working at the bar. I love working at leadership Louisville. I love, doing my podcast. I love all the things that I do now, but I haven't always loved my jobs. What I think pleasure, the role pleasure can play is again, because I defined it as like the process, the celebration and the action of finding out who you are and being who you are. If you're in a space where you don't love your job and you go there and you come home, you can find pleasure in the fact that this is my job going in. I'm here. I'm this job pays my bills and make sure I am I can survive and hopefully thrive in this world. Yes. But there are things that I love outside of here. So you can find pleasure in the fact that this is just taking up this much of your time right now. And hopefully you have the capacity to use that to be on the lookout for something that you don't hate doing. Like you don't have right. to love it, but you don't hate it. Right. Um. So and and because pleasure is a process, it's not a black and white yes or no kind of process it's like okay i don't love this like i can tell you the jobs i worked when i was in graduate school because the hours of my grad school were very specific i was limited to specific jobs during grad school but what brought me pleasure was this i'm in the middle of a process that's going to take time but once i'm done with this i will have the degree or certification to do the things that I think I like to do more. Did I love all the jobs after grad school either? No, not all of them. <laughs> but those jobs allowed me to meet the people that I needed to meet that allowed me to start further, like peeling back the process of peeling back those layers of where do I want to be and what do I want to do, which I'm still in the process of doing. Right. That's also pleasure. So I don't, it doesn't have to be as simple as, I'm going to work. I love this job. 
I go home and I still love my job. It might be, but it's not always that way. Right. And it's not, uh, you know, every moment of every day no. is pleasurable to Cause, me. Cause um, I that, hate sending those emails right, every day. All, right, right, right. And, you know, you and I um, teach uh, emerging leaders in mm-hmm, Louisville mm-hmm. to the, that process of discovering who you are. Absolutely. And it's a journey. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a spectrum, like a continuum. Mm-hmm. It's not a this or that it's not either it's not black or white Mm-mm. um it's a journey and that like i really love your definition of pleasure because if we think um that it's the process of becoming who we really are mm-hmm. then what we hope is that we find that in our work more and more and more maybe it's a percentage more or a little bit more yep. that as we move through the world of work we start to figure out how who who i am can happen in the job i do all the time all the time, yeah. So, as, or more and more of the time, as much of the time as I can find as that. possible, and, absolutely. Yeah. Because the parts that aren't who you are also can, like, what is it, Rumi, the poet Rumi has that quote that's like, if you're irritated by how by every rub, how will your mirror ever be polished or something right. like that. I butcher quotes, which is actually why I always <laughs> have them, because I write them down because I'll mess them up any other way. But that quote sticks, came up to me when you said that, because the parts of my job that are harder for me, right? Um, they're rubbing on a part of me. Not to say they're changing me, but they're rubbing on a part of me like, ooh, why is this so uncomfortable? I don't know if I like this part. And sometimes I don't like it because it's actually in opposition of who I am, which in that case, I interact with it in a way that's like either this part has to go. I mean, right. but that's also based on where I am in my own career too, because you can't always do that. But this part has to go or I need to to really do more deep study around that. Like, why is this so hard? Um, but like, for example, and I'm, you know, pretty clear with that. In the job that I'm in now, which I love, um, I work with emerging leaders, which I love because when I'm like, yes, be your whole self and da 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 right? Like, and I want to help you, you know, build infrastructure for who you are around. <laughs> I love that part. I also work with um, one of my other programs is very much C-suite, EDs, CEOs, VPs, like those folks, there's a lot of stereotypes around that. But in engaging with those stereotypes, I had that was uncomfortable for me when I started because I was like, well, do I have to be really like, you know, straight necked and stiff or whatever? I don't think I'd enjoy that. Right. Because, you know, I wear lime green and pink and sometimes my hair is those colors. Right. Those folks aren't really like that in real life, but me engaging with those stereotypes and also realizing that as I'm working with this group of individuals, I will run up against those more formalized spaces because it's the nature of that work. And I'm coming outside of what I like to say is my bubble of informality and, and just be, being comfortable, whatever. Cause I'm also a bartender, right? Right. Being in those spaces teaches me things, right? So even when I'm uncomfortable and I, that part being uncomfortable is not pleasurable, it's like, yes, these systems still exist and you have to engage with them, those systems with grace. So if there are things you have to know to do all the time and know to do um, in these spaces because people won't know whether you're not doing it because you don't know any better, which is not good professionally, or if you're rejecting, which can also rub people the wrong way. So... I think all that to say, as I'm getting a little bit away from uh, what you were saying, but I think that you being uncomfortable 
and not liking where you are is also a part of that process. So I'm agreeing with you. Yes. Right. That was right. like, wait, where was I? They're, they're going, going with that. But being uncomfortable and being like, oh, I don't like this that much. That's actually really a part of that process, too, because how do you know what you love if you don't run up against the things you are actually like this? Sucks. That's I don't right. like it. I hate it. Um, and hopefully you have the ability and the capacity and the network and the community that can support you to get to where you want to go. And if you don't end up loving your job, also fine. Just use that to unpeel right. what you love, whether that's work or not. That's so. right. And try to find it either mm-hmm. in the job you have or maybe that's informing you about where you want to go in your career. I I tell you that I think we talked about this mm-hmm. um, the other day. I think sometimes there is more opportunity than we know For sure. in the jobs we're in. Mm-hmm. When Once we start to unpack and learn who we are, mm-hmm. what brings us pleasure. For sure. Um, it's sometimes just a matter of like asking, um, mm-hmm. show, I mean, showing up in a way that's different and, and just testing that out. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, these CEOs are fine with me being more, co- you know, they more love colorful. It. They're like, yes, thank yeah. you. <laughs> and, then you. And then you have to like the joy of saying like, oh, wait a minute, I can really experience I can pleasure be my in self. a space that I didn't, I didn't know I could. Absolutely. I love yeah. that part too. Yeah. And that, and, Yes, to your point, that's the other part that made me like, oh, I'm excited. I know, was when you can, as you're unpeeling who you are and you know who you are and you can speak to who you are, you're like, this is this is who I am. And almost in, in a lot of ways, for me anyway, after I started really being able to articulate exactly the kind of learner I am or the kind of employee or employer that I am, I tell people like they're like, what do you want to be? They asked me this at the end of my last interview for the last job that I applied for. Right. The job I have now. They're like, what do you want to do at the end of this? Because especially for folks that come through the kind of work that I do, there's usually an end goal. Yeah. I said, well, let me just tell you, all I've been doing actually the same thing in a lot of ways for the last four or five jobs, because I know the things that I'm good at. I'm good at distilling information down to something that is simple. I'm good at consuming lots of information and giving it to people. I'm good at making things tangible for people. And I've been doing that across sectors and across job titles, because these are the things that I, these are the skills that I know I have to your, using your word of yours, flow in. Like when I'm able to curate information for people, I'm in my flow. When I'm able to pick out the people that should be great for this thing. I'm in my flow. So really, no matter what job that title that I get, because I've taken the time to look for that pleasurable piece. And I think that might be the most important part of finding pleasure in your work is you can articulate very clearly. And you said this in your strength workshops. um, You can articulate very clearly what you're great at. And how you can make that fit into the work that needs to be done. So that also gives you a leg up because you're like, this is what I know I can do. Like, don't ask me to do event planning. Right. I don't suck at it, but that's not I have to work so hard to be okay or good at it. Then do you really want me to do that? Not really. But (laughs) if you ask me, you give me the big picture concept and say, this is what I want. Get me these bullet points. I can find the people for you. I can I can facilitate the conversation for you. Just don't ask me to make sure that the caterers confirmed. Don't ask me to find the location. You do that part. Let me figure out how to curate this experience. I can tell you that because 
those are the things that I found my flow in my work. And that mat- that didn't matter where I was. When I was here, when I was at the place I was before, every place that I've been, and that's because I've doubled down on finding out what feels good, not just I like, but what feels good in the work that I do. And that's what I've been, I've just been doing the same job with a bunch of different job titles. Essentially, <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's the thing I like to do. And that's how I'm going to do it every time. But I, I will tell you, I really believe this, that what you're what you love and mm-hmm. what you're what brings you pleasure mm-hmm. and feels good mm-hmm. is also the thing that you're going to be great. Absolutely. At, that Absolutely. You're going to do mm-hmm. better than anybody. The other thing I really believe is that we can we can be more creative in the workplace mm-hmm. because um, you may not love event planning, mm-hmm. but there might be somebody nearby who and magic. It's, and it's there. It it's brings them pleasure. Magical. It brings them deep pleasure to do event planning. And why would you withhold it from someone it, that it fills their bucket just because, you know, there's a piece of paper that says newbie is supposed to do the event oh, planning, right? Uh, you are preaching to me right now. I mean, you were at my last event, right? And I, and I tell them, I told them, um, just so you know, if you're having a good experience right now, I need you to not give me a hand, okay? This person right here, this is their bucket. This is what they do. And yeah. and you can tell this is what they do because they know to ask the questions that would go shoom, 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 right over my head any day, right? Yeah. And so I put me in the front of the room or at the back of the room pulling the puppet strings, absolutely. But do not have me event plan because the first, as soon as you say there's this event, I'm going to say go talk to this person right here and then get back to me when you want content. Because that's, right. that's, that's the, that's what they do and they are fantastic at it and I believe in elevating that because otherwise you just get subpar stuff all the time absolutely <laughs> so so you've you've given us some really um, good thoughts along the way here but I wonder about advice when you think about people who are listening mm-hmm. and and I think it probably is the reality for a lot of people that they say I don't have time um, my work is not fun mm-hmm. I don't find pleasure I, I'd like to but it but I don't have it now. So you, what, do you, what are some of the things you might offer to people who are starting to think about this and realize that they could have more, that there's, mm-hmm. they could go on this journey and start to think about what helps them be more of who they are? Hmm. That's so context matters, right? When you ask questions like that, because that's why when people give advice on things and it doesn't land well, you're like, why didn't this work? It's because context matters. So that's the first thing before I give an answer to that. And I think that if you can, like if your if your workplace is friendly, when I say friendly, not like, oh, these are my besties. I mean, like if friendly to your development. Right. Like somebody's like, I know you don't love this. What do you love? Right. Um, Then have deepened the conversation with people that are your champions that are like even regardless of the kinds of work you do, have deeper conversations with the people and just be clear about what it is you like to do. And if you don't know that, don't know the answer to that question, take a step back and ask yourself that. Like, what do I like about even the smallest task that I have to do? Because I think they can give you a peek into what are the bigger things you like to do, right? So you're thinking, like, what do I like? To- oh, I like to read a lot, right? People would joke and be like, Nubia has a book for you, I'm sure. I know I've learned not to give you one, don't of course, right? <laughs> but, but I like to read a lot. Like, yeah. I, I was raised in a reading house. My stepdad would always be like, if you, you know, if you read every single day, you're going to know 10 times more than most people that are doing what you do because most people don't make time to read, right? So I was like, well, who 
cares if nobody else likes to read, right? <laughs> so I like to consume a lot of information. And I realized that the jobs that I would, even the jobs I didn't love, I would enjoy the part about learning and consuming as much information as possible. And I'm like, okay, so I like to do that. Is this not a, sometimes that was a good fit for the jobs I had. Sometimes it was a horrible fit because they were like, maybe I need you to make quicker decisions. How in the heck are you going to do this job if you're not making decisions fast enough? Cause you need to do all this research first. Right. So I could think of the parts of my job that I did like when I got to research things, when I got to disseminate and distill information down and give it to people. Or when I got to put things together, like put whole like processes together so if you get to do things in your job that the task in and of itself, you enjoy, not your job overall, you got to break it up into more manageable pieces, right. then then you're on to something, honestly. And if you do find out which parts you like, if there are those things at your job, because there are some people that work jobs that everything about their job they hate, and then they actually got to take another step back. It's like, so what do you like to do outside of work other than veg out on Netflix? What do you like to do? And so and there are people that don't know that either. And I would encourage those people to not add another task, but just to see what it is that they do like outside of work um, or in work, because I think that we just lump all this stuff together. So you have to parse that out into smaller pieces to see which parts are good. It's like going through sugar. I mean, going through green beans or going through like vegetables or beans, trying to figure out the ones that are good and bad and pick those things out. So then once you've done that, you know, the task, you know, the very basic building blocks for the things you like to do in or out of work. And first, take joy in doing those things while you while you have to. If you're in a space where you have to do those things like, oh, but I like this part. So this is cool. I like this part. Then deepen the conversations with your networks, whether that be inside of your job or outside of your job, because it may mean that you need to just switch it all up. Hopefully not, um, or maybe not hopefully. Sometimes that's not the best idea. Sometimes it is the idea. Sometimes you do need to move, and hopefully you have the freedom to move. But when you do move, it's an informed move, whether you're moving up or over or away, whatever the case may right. be, it's always informed. So you're not making these random, I hate this, I don't I go, you know, so that's not what you're doing. You're like, okay, I like this, this, and this. I'm good at this, this, and this. So let me talk to my supervisor. Let me talk to my coworkers. Let me talk. So everybody knew when I was looking for a job, I'm like, hey, these are the things I love to do. Like, and I can do these until the cows come home and I'm happy about it. So talking and having those conversations go against the grain of that. If you want to move, move in silence. I, I don't know who that works for. Um, yeah. But for most marginalized folks, that does not work because our networks aren't naturally big enough. So let people know what you love to do. And if yes. that's with that can be done within your job, somebody will give you an opportunity, hopefully, to do that. If it's not within your job, you'll know that, too, because as soon as you start saying, I really want to do this thing and they're like, absolutely not. No, no, no. Then that you're always seeking out information. Right. Right. Um, but that process, while it's not fun every single day, I think, especially if you're documenting that process, you're looking like, OK, this is pleasurable because I see progress. And that's what humans love is progress. They're like, OK, I see a difference between this week and last week. Right. That's why you see those New Year, New Me posts on on uh, social media where they're like, this is before and this is after. We love progress. Right. So documenting the process of really finding yourself and figuring out what you love to do 
for some ta- some people it takes a really long time and some people it's the steps are much smaller some they're huge big steps that's when you see people drop out and go to law school and all this other stuff but really making informed decisions and letting people know what you love as you find those things out I think that's a way that you can impact where you are in your job process, whether you're thinking about success or whether you're thinking about pleasure or whether those things are combined together. Um, And it makes everything meaningful. So even if you, quote unquote, hate your job, it's meaningful because you're learning about yourself. So, yeah, Yeah. I love that. Just uh, that sense of um, presence, Mm -hmm. Um, starting to become aware, raising Mm -hmm. our awareness paying attduring the day mm-hmm. what's it the you know it might be the smallest little thing to it begin could be with sorting. but you're it's like you said earlier you're we're developing um a a, a pleasure practice mm-hmm. we're we're starting to understand what brings us pleasure mm-hmm. i also love you said um asking the question what do you love mm-hmm. and i i just imagine how few of us probably have ever been asked that at work but if you're a supervisor mm-hmm. or if you're a part of a team mm-hmm. and you want to change the landscape, mm-hmm. asking the folks that you work with, what do you love? Mm-hmm. Man, oh man, that's a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you love? And let's see if we can get a little bit more of that mm-hmm. for you. If you've mm-hmm. got a little bit more of what you love. And um, we do know, I mean, there's a lot of research right now about um, people really rethinking work. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's around this topic of purpose and meaning and pleasure and what and doing something that we love you know i'm a baby boomer and Mm -hmm. i we and we didn't we didn't as a generation we didn't ask ourselves those questions but the folks coming into the workplace today are are leaving when they can't find that for Mm -hmm. themselves Mm -hmm. um so to to be a great employer to be a great place to work as we talk about here we have to start thinking about how do we connect people to something you know, more than just a job description. For sure. And that made me think of, especially, you know, everybody complains now about how these Gen Zers are just wanting to be social media influencers as jobs. Like that's what they want. And they're like, oh, you can't do that. But to your point, employers have to lean into that, right? So this is new information, right? Just like my generation, because I'm, you know, a proud millennial was like, I'm going to be the this. That's why I have 10 friends that have JDs, right? We are the Claire Huxtable generation. Not the Cosby's, Claire (laughs) Huxtable specifically, okay? Because we like Felicia Rashad. We like her. Um, But um, because we were like, this is how you have, what you have to be. And you just have to be strong and your identity lies in your work. Eh, That didn't work out so much. Um, And, but we did get our stickers because millennials love getting their check marks. Like, did I get the point? Yes, that's what I wanted, you know? But these Gen Zers very much are like diversity matters in their jobs, like the ability to be around diverse groups, um, no matter where on the political landscape they are. They're like, I need to be around diversity and um, this sense of fulfillment from your work and saying, I did this like this matters and the environment matters. So everybody's told up. The only way you get to do that is if you're a social media influencer, because then you're curating things for people. And I think everybody can't be a social media influencer because who are they influencing? Um, and, I, and there's no shade to people who want that in their lives, right? Or a YouTube star or whatever, right? But I think the opportunity for employers is bring yourself, like they can change, they can shift because 
you can find meaning in something that is very trade specific because you're still doing the tasks that you love, which is why for some of us who have had to pivot quite a bit because of, you know, because millennials have also been adults through a recession or two. Um, and now a pandemic, you know, we were in high school at 9-11, like all the bad things happened in the, right. in the adult right. lives of millennials. Right. They make that joke on social media all the time. So a lot of us have had to pivot quite a bit, you know, because most of us are just now buying houses. Right. right. Um, so I think what companies can do and what employers can do is recognize that what to your point, at the bottom line, the reason why people like forget it, I'm just going to work for myself, is people want to be seen yeah. and people want to show up exactly how they are. I mean, you got to I mean, within reason, of course. Right. Like you have to there are certain things everybody has to do because we work and we work together. But people I at the root want to show up as their themselves in the space without having to trim off too much. And that's not a hard ask to employers. Like when you think about what people are asking for, the ask is really not that big or that bad. It's like, just make it so that I shine in the work that I like to do and that I'm good at, not just what I like to do and what I'm good at and help me build teams of people that are good at what they do in ways that support the work and each other. And then everybody doesn't necessarily have to work for themselves. They can work with each other, which I think is an important lesson that people need to know how to do. But if you're working at an employer that it, if employers are oppressive and like this is what working together looks like, then people aren't going to want to do it. That's right. That's yep. like, we won't be here. So. Right. Uh, you know, um, and if you work for an employer, you're fortunate enough to work for an employer that has a mission you can believe in. Mm -hmm. So here at the University of Louisville, you know, I love this place. Mm -hmm. I welcome new people. At, uh, our team welcomes new faculty and staff every, every week. week. I tell them every week, um, you can find your noble purpose here. Mm -hmm. Who can't be excited about coming to a place every day that just exists to make life better for help people find their purpose to yep. solve problems and cure mm -hmm. diseases. And so the, the great um, blessing to people who work at UofL is um what whatever job you do, mm -hmm. you are connected, and and it's, you're connected to that grand vision. Yeah, you make people's lives better because you're here. Mm -hmm. It's just that going on that journey and being present to say how 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 do I do that? Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't work with students every day, but because I uh, fix the technology infrastructure. A they student, can do what they right? need to do. Absolutely. So mm -hmm. it, even if it's a little, a few degrees of separation, mm -hmm. making that connection to the, to a purpose that is compelling to you. For sure. Is pleasure to me, I think. I agree. I agree. And I think that if you can figure out whether it's the thing, the activity or the task that you love to do or the greater purpose, and you just happen to be good at this thing, like somebody I know their favorite thing to do, they don't love doing this, they just know they're good at it, is the numbers. They manage all the numbers. So oh, for yeah. nonprofits, they were doing it for free for a long time. They don't love it. They just, they know this is their skill, so this is the thing that they do. But they do it for things uh, that they feel passionate about and know that it's making the world a better place because that's what they value, right? Their right. value is this, but their skill set is this, which on the surface don't necessarily match up, but because they know I'm good with numbers, I can manage an account, 
I can be respect. I can be responsible for what goes in and what comes out. That sounds like the most boring thing for me. Like oh, <laughs> eyes are glazing over as we speak, right? But that value is so 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 important. Yes. That organization needed a person that looks at this this line on Excel and this line in Excel, and it's like boom, 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 boom. Okay, this is right. This is sh- as it should be, right? So that's what they do. Like they do that all the time. And if you have a skill set that you don't necessarily love, but it is your skill set, find the match your skill set to your passion. And if or in a passion or pleasure or goal or value, whatever word you want to use there. And if you aren't sure what your skill set is, still follow that value so whichever one you know, it's almost like doing algebra, I guess. I keep using this math examples. Whatever X is, solve for X, right? So find the the place that you value and just keep doing stuff until you're like, oh, I love to do all of these. I love this prop, this thing here, especially if yeah. you're like at the beginning of your career, especially. Do all the things that support this value here and right. then you'll fill in what that is and then you find that thing and just get really, really great at that. And then that will bring you pleasure Or if you're in a position where you don't necessarily get to work for a place like everybody doesn't get to save the children all the time. Right. Right. Everybody can't. But if you are building out your skill set, then that's your pleasure. Like, let me just get really, really good at these numbers because I know I have a knack for it and I don't hate it. This is actually all right. I actually like this. And maybe you will end up working at this place that saves the children. Right. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't. But you have this skill set. And you can go save the children outside of work and you just feel good because you don't hate your job. That's you right. love it. You love this task you do and you just can still fulfill your value because you got really good at both of those things. Yeah. And you know why you know why you're in that job. It It's a means to a, a wonderful end. It helps mm-hmm. you get to where you want in the uh, in the podcast. Um, you Part of your opening is you say. That pleasure is our birthright. It, it's because why we're here. It's why we're here. It's why we're here. That's it. It's why we're here. So, you know, finding it in work mm-hmm. is a great um, thing to to take on to to go For on that. Sure. If you can't find it in work, you still deserve pleasure. Absolutely. And let work help you. There uh, you go. Get there. That is exactly right because. We want to make sure we're saying we're not saying folks should find their pleasure in work and that is their purpose because I was running into that because I was finding so much pleasure in work that that was my purpose. And then I was like, wait, this is not my purpose for why I'm here on the earth. Right. Right. So then I had I ran into that wall and then you so you have to be careful about that. But pleasure can be your compass. Right. Mm. And. And it can teach you what you love and you don't love. Like it's a it's a good compass. It's a good guide for why things don't feel good or if they do feel good, you know exactly why. I think pleasure is a great compass to help you find your find out who you are and be exactly who you are. And you're like, it's it's like a thermometer, like it's too hot in here. Like, I don't love this or I love this a lot. What do I love about this? It helps you make informed yes. decisions. Yes. And that's why I say it's why we're here. So I was working that it's out in my head. Here. I was like, how does that work? But it kind of helps you keep the temperature and take the temperature. So it's a thermometer and a thermostat so that you can make the informed decisions so that you can make living. Hopefully not less sufferable, but like. It make it good like you can right. make it good because you're making informed decision and pleasure. P- pleasure kind of helps guide the direction of those 
you know, whether that's work, whether that's your personal life. But we spend so much time at work, no matter what your job is. We spend like, I think it was like a third. No, it has to be more than a third of our lives doing work. Two thirds, at least, of our lives working in some capacity. So letting that be your compass, like, okay, why does this feel good? Or why does this not feel good? Or why don't I know what feels good? And that helps you answer all of those questions at the same time. Pleasure is your compass. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank I'm gonna you. I have to write that down somewhere because right? I just I, came up there with you today. <laughs> <laughs> that is really powerful. Well, Nubia, thank you mm-hmm. so much. Thanks for this podcast and for the love work you do. It. Thank you for helping all of us identify for ourselves what pleasure is, mm-hmm. to understand that we deserve it. We do. Um, so much. I, I don't think we always know that in our life. Mm-mm. So you're reminding us. Listen, it is my pleasure to um, work with you and to know you. Always, and, to be, always. and I have one more thing for you to do. Okay, it's also for my sure. pl- it's also my pleasure mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to put you through the speed round. Yes. So I uh, uh, I'm gonna just start a sentence, and I would just want you to finish it with whatever mm-hmm. comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Ready? Yes. Okay. Success is knowing what feels good mm. and doing it if you can. Doing it. Ah, a great boss. Sees your gifts and helps you develop them. The best job, I'm really, I'm really excited to hear the answer. The best job I ever had was? Uh, trouble for sure. Um, but I think all of the things that I'm doing right now have been the best that I've had. And I think it's because of intention. And that was a long sentence, but trouble might be. It's probably like nearing to the front because I just I just love it. Um, but all of um, the work that I'm doing now, because it feels in such alignment with the things that have intentional. I've been intentional about developing pleasurable practices around all of them feel good, uh, even if it's 50, because it feels like it might be 50 jobs right now. But <laughs> I think all 50 of them ultimately bring me pleasure <laughs> in some way. I'm still tired, but pleasurable nonetheless. Someone who inspires me. Ooh. Um, well, everybody knows that Dr. J. Blaine Hudson was always my favorite person in the whole wide world. That's my stepdad, by the way. Um, and even more so in his passing 10 years ago this year, um, because I'm nearing an age. I'm not nearing the age he was when he passed, but um, I'm nearing an age that I know about what, how old I, he was when I he came into our lives and there are so many questions and answer conversations that I'm having in my head. Like, I wonder what this was like for you at this age um, that I don't know that I would have asked if he hadn't been gone for 10 years. So I'm inspired by what may have been the truth, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. This is your speed round, but I have to just yeah. insert that. Um, I often ask faculty and staff here mm-hmm. who their inspiration is and more than any other, more than any other person. It was him. It was him. And then it helps that there's a big old picture right on Garner Hall. <laughs> it's like, wait, okay, I remember you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right in the quad where he used to walk by with his peanut butter hat. Um, yeah, but it's very, it, that's an inspiration. And my sister, who, my sister Giovanni is, inspires me a lot too because making a jump from being a teacher like was much harder. Um, yeah. 
um, for a lot of folks, not just her, um, than a lot, you know, than I anticipated because I've been jumping around my whole life, you know, in terms of jobs. I told you I've been just doing the same job my whole life. Like, let me do what I want to do. That's kind of how I moved through the world. But watching that um, transition and the transition of a lot of folks who had to pivot so hard yes. because of COVID uh, or just before, just because living as a millennial and in, in, in these times has been really hard, yeah. has been really inspirational and, and meaningful because all of these pivots have had to be meaningful. So I have to add my sister Giovanni in there too. Cause she's, uh, so shout yeah. out to Giovanni. I know. Okay. Oh. Women's Center. No. <laughs> Hopefully she Super listens. We'll oh, make she sure will. She, listens. she loves okay. all the podcast we things that I do. Her. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. The last one at my retirement party, I want people to say, what did she do exactly? <laughs> and that, and that's because, and, and there's a reason behind that. Not so much what did she do in the sense like she didn't accomplish that much. Um, because anybody that knows me knows I work really, really hard. And I don't realize how hard I'm working to be like, Nubia, sit down. Like when I had the baby, they were like, Nubia, I'm so glad you get to sit down. I'm like, oh, yeah. But. <laughs> I lo- I said saying yes to things. I mean, we know the value of saying no. We know that we've now we've had to double down on no. Right. But the saying yes to things that are meaningful and important and the opportunities to say yes to things that are exciting and pleasurable is a gift. So I want to keep saying yes as long as I can to whatever. I mean, I've had a I was a part of a a, a museum exhibit at KMAC like two years ago. Just because somebody said, well, we like some of your pictures on Instagram that you took with your iPhone. Do you want to be a part of this exhibit? I'm like, "Uh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) So like saying yes to the things that are new and exciting. And I want to have a laundry list of those things at my retirement party. So like maybe now go for real. Go sit down somewhere and I'll go sit down for maybe a couple months. And then I'll be like, what? how else can I get involved now? I got all this time. So I want them to say what exactly is the thing that she did, because I want there to be so many that that you can't just pick one. You can pick one to tell Mm -hmm. the story, but you can't pick one and be like, this is the thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe thank you. This was so much fun. I love this so much. I love it. I love it. I love it. Keep doing the great work you're doing. Uh, We're going to put in the uh, show notes Mm -hmm. a link to the podcast so that people can find it. Yay. And um, I'm I'm a big fan, so I'm going to be listening. Same. Same. I'm like, Brian has to be involved, right? He's involved, right? Okay. 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 Then we're good. We're good. Anything. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. The Employee Success Podcast is part of the Employee Success Center at the University of Louisville. Hosted by me, Brian Buford, Executive Director for University, Culture, and Employee Success. Produced by Laura McDaniels with assistance from Amber Corbin. You can find us at louisville.edu slash employee success or follow us on Facebook or Instagram at UofL Employee Success or Twitter at UofL EMPL Success. Till next time, thanks friends.